almost every living thing experiences some kind of birth. Animals do, insects do, plants do, sea life does, birds do. Almost every species has a birth cycle of some kind. Now, I never was great in physical science, one of the C's on my grade card. But, you know, I couldn't think of anything alive that doesn't have a birth or beginning of some kind. Maybe there is something. There is a beginning. There is a start to life. What wasn't there before suddenly and wonderfully is. For human beings, this is even more special, even more Miraculous. Why? Because in contrast to the rest of the animal kingdom, human beings are living souls. Once conceived, we live forever. We have physical bodies that will live for an unpredictable number of years, but inside we are eternal beings. Very amazing. Our souls will never stop existing. Once born, our souls will live forever. At one time, we do not exist, and then suddenly we do. Once born, we will live forever in one place or another. Our bodies can be destroyed, but our souls cannot. That is mankind's unique place in the universe of created things. With apologies to you dog and cat owners who think you'll see them in heaven. (laughs) The birth of a giraffe is a very traumatic event for a baby. Imagine coming out of your mother and being dropped three or four feet to the ground, perhaps landing on your head. What a way to start. What a way to be born into this world. And as if that trauma wasn't enough, a baby giraffe's mother starts prodding her newborn immediately to stand up because predators may be nearby waiting to pounce on the baby as their next meal. So the mother has to keep prodding the baby to get up and be ready to run away if need be. So I've been told that within three or four minutes of being born into this world, a baby giraffe is standing up and learning how to walk and then run. There's no time to lay around for a few days or weeks or learn how to fend for yourself. Now, if you're a giraffe, you've got to be ready to move almost from the moment of your birth. It must be pretty tough to be a giraffe, I think. Now, I don't remember the day of my birth, nor do you. My parents always told me that I was born on a Sunday night about 7 p.m. during the evening church service. Now, that doesn't mean I was born in the sanctuary during church. I was born in a hospital like most of you. But I don't remember that. And I don't remember the first year or two of my life, but I've heard many stories from those who were there, my parents, my siblings, and my grandma, Jessie. My parents did not plan to have me their third child, but everyone celebrated my birth, I am told. Everyone in my family was excited when John Boy was born. That's what my grandma used to call me, and no, I'm not looking for a new nickname, so don't try it on me. (laughs) We are thinking about birth this morning. What does it mean to be born again? Well, I'm glad you asked. So let's pray as we go to God's word together. Father, I thank you that your word is so profound and yet so simple that these concepts that could blow one person's mind 
register with us in a way that just brings it all to light, brings understanding to our minds and to our hearts. And I pray today, Lord, as we explore your word and as we try to understand what it means to be born again, that our hearts will be open and that your spirit will show us, will lead us, will teach us. Through Jesus, amen. We're going to read the first few verses of John chapter 3 today. If you have a Bible or want to grab one out in the seat from in front of you, please do that. Find that passage in your Bible. John tells the story here in John chapter 3 of Nicodemus coming to visit Jesus. He wanted to figure out whether Jesus really came from God or not. Nicodemus was shocked when Jesus said, a man must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. How was that possible, Nicodemus wondered. Why was that even necessary? What in the world was Jesus talking about? And so it's quite an interesting conversation. Perhaps we are just as confused about the new birth as Nicodemus. And so this morning we're going to revisit this conversation in John 3 to make sure we know what new birth is and why all of us must experience it. What does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus was an honest seeker after God. I hope that we are too. He wanted to know who Jesus was. And specifically, he wanted to know if he should follow Jesus or not. So John tells us about Nicodemus coming to Jesus, seeking out Jesus under the cover of darkness. Read along with me in John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? I suppose he wanted to protect his reputation. He was a member of the Jewish council, and the council had already decided that they were in opposition to Jesus, so Nicodemus could risk uh, being seen by someone if he tried to talk to Jesus, especially if he was asking questions of Jesus. So we need to ask before we get into the rest of the story, who was this Nicodemus? Because maybe there's some parallels to our own lives. First of all, Nicodemus was a very religious man. As a Jewish Pharisee, he prided himself in his devotion to the law of Moses. He obeyed the law strictly, right down to the rules and regulations pertaining to eating and drinking and and staying in good standing with God. Nicodemus kept himself from liquor from immorality, from doing anything that might break the Old Testament law. He also prided himself in the fact that he was a descendant of Abraham. He wore a certain robe. He wore a prayer shawl to show how religious he was. And I'm sure at moments he felt assured of his spot in heaven because he was a religious man. Nicodemus was also an important man. He was a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, the council made up of the top 70 elders of Israel. Nicodemus had reached what we would call the top rung of the Jewish ladder of success. He was highly respected by all of his fellow Jews and to some degree even by the Roman occupiers of their country. As a Pharisee, he was known as a teacher of Israel, one of the most knowledgeable experts in the law of Moses. He was used to people bowing to him in the marketplace and giving him a seat of honor at their banquets and religious occasions. 
Nicodemus was an important man who had lots of things to do. So we may wonder, why did he approach Jesus in the first place? Well, it wasn't because he was a religious man. It wasn't because he was an important man. It was because he was, thirdly, an empty man. His way of life was coming up empty, and Nicodemus knew it. He knew there was something missing in his life, but he just couldn't get a handle on it. He had pursued his Jewish faith as far as it could take him, but he still came up short. And he wasn't satisfied with where he stood at this time in his life. Sure, he had everybody's respect, admiration, but there was a gnawing discontentment in his heart for all of his religiosity and importance. Nicodemus hadn't discovered the real meaning of life. So he came to Jesus at night looking for answers. But the answers confused him, at least at first. Let's start into chapter 3 again. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In this private conversation, Nicodemus admitted that he thought Jesus was a teacher sent from God. This was obvious to him from the miraculous signs that Jesus had been doing everywhere. This was a compliment, nice way to start the conversation. But Jesus didn't accept these pleasantries. (laughs) He cut straight to the chase, didn't he? He told Nicodemus that he would have to be born again in order to enter God's kingdom, just like everyone else. Nicodemus was totally confused by this statement. He could only take Jesus' words literally. It was impossible to think that someone could literally enter their mother's womb to be born again. So here was a teacher of Israel who didn't understand Jesus' simple metaphor. I'm told that Billy Graham once went in his ministry to a small town to preach at a revival. He arrived a little bit earlier than he was supposed to, (coughs) so he sat down on a park bench to finish writing a letter to his family back home. As he finished the letter, he asked a young boy standing on the sidewalk where the town's post office was. And after the boy gave him directions, Mr. Graham thanked him and said, you know, if you'll come to the Baptist church tonight, you can hear me tell everyone how to get to heaven. And the little boy replied, he says, I don't think I'll be there. He said, well, why not? You don't even know the way to the post office. How would you ever know the way to heaven? (laughs) Sometimes the most religious people don't come off so well. And this is the way Nicodemus was. A teacher of Israel, a man who should have understood great theological things, great spiritual things. And yet Jesus' words put him off and he's confused. One of the greatest tragedies in religion today is the fact that many church people, even many religious leaders, don't know how they must get to heaven. 
how to get to heaven even after Jesus told them plainly what to do. I see a lot of people today, so do you, who think that they'll get into heaven because they follow a certain religion or because they go to church on Sundays or because they've done enough good things to get them into heaven. They must think that God has some kind of a divine balance sheet recording all the good and the bad things that we have done. So the thing that we have to do is to make sure that the good outweighs the bad, and then we'll be okay in the end. Perhaps that is where Nicodemus was living, but he was tired of living that way because deep inside he knew that what he was doing was not enough. And so he came searching for Jesus, trying to work out his own salvation had not worked out so well. And he knew he could never keep the law completely. You must be born again, Jesus told him. So let's talk about that a little bit. You must be born again. First of all, we need to be born again. We need to start over. No one is excluded. No one is able to save themselves. All of us at one time were objects of God's wrath. We were all under God's condemnation. And it wasn't because God is just arbitrarily mean, that God is always disappointed, that God is always wanting us to measure up to something that we cannot measure up to. It is what we all deserved. All of us were sinners. All of us were guilty. Whether you want to admit that or not, the sentence had already been pronounced. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 with me. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, the Bible says, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath or deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The reason we must all be born again spiritually is that from the day we were born physically, we were born with a fallen nature and a tendency to sin. That's why you don't have to teach a child to lie when they get into trouble. <laughs> you know, nobody teaches their child lie when you have to. You know, if they do something wrong and they're caught in it, don't be surprised when they come to you and they say, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do that. Because it is his nature to lie, to deny what he did. That's why an unsafe person has trouble ever overcoming his sin on his own. Spiritually, he is dead and has no power to give sin up. That's why a gambler, for instance, will continue to gamble even though his credit card is maxed out and his checking account way overdrawn. He just can't help himself. That's why a drunkard will continue to drink even though drinking has cost him his job and his family. That's why a thief will continue to steal even though he fears getting caught. He doesn't know how to stop himself. All of us, whatever our sin may be, We're powerless to give up our sins because we were dead. We were wrapped up in there. We were caught. We were entangled. We were imprisoned by them. 
And we need a Jesus Christ to set us free, to make us alive again. Only the Spirit of God has the power to make us new and to give us a fresh start. So Nicodemus, as holy and righteous as he appeared to be, as religious, as important as he certainly was, was told, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again like everyone else. Nicodemus was confused by Jesus' words. So Jesus explained, very truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. There are two kinds of birth, Jesus said. And we must experience them both if we are going to be saved and spend eternity in heaven with God. We must be born of water. Now, many people dis dispute what this may mean. They try to make it a religious thing or maybe a part of the, the equation of being a uh, recipient of this new birth. I see it more simply than that. I think it is simply the birth of the, uh, the first birth, uh, picture of the first birth that we had when we were born into this world. We are human beings born of human parents. At one time we were not, and then we were conceived and born into this world. And as I said earlier, when we are born as humans, we are born as souls. We become living souls that live on into eternity. Our mothers carried us in their wombs for nine months, although sometimes it was less than that. And then their water broke, and we were born. Our natural birth was sudden, even traumatic. But being born as humans, we were born to live forever. Jesus said there are two births we must experience, the first one being our natural birth. Then Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, confirming that when he said we must be born of water, he was talking about natural birth. You may disagree, and that's fine, but I think it's very simple and plain. Of the two births we must experience in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, the first is physical, fleshly, natural birth. And, of course, we've all experienced that, or we wouldn't be here talking about it today. Then we must be born of the Spirit. To get to heaven, we must experience the second birth, the spiritual birth. Birth by the Spirit. By spiritual means, not physical, we can be made new. We can be born again. Now, Nicodemus was correct to ask, how can this be when Jesus said you must be born again? There is no way a person can go back inside their mother to be born again. So there must be something else Jesus was insisting upon. And he was insisting upon spiritual birth, a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual awakening, but with the power to actually accomplish it. When this is done by the Spirit of God, new life is truly new. In the first birth, we had no choice. We had nothing to do with it. But the second birth is all about our choice. It is something we must choose to experience. Even then, it can only be accomplished by God's power, not by ours. It is by His grace that the offer is even made. Human beings can give birth to a child, but only God can cause the new birth, the second birth. The first birth was traumatic for both the mother and the child, and probably the father. The second birth should be no less traumatic. If it isn't, something is probably wrong because the new birth that Jesus gives us is a total change of life. Nothing 
is to remain the same after we are born of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. There is a dramatic, sudden change that happens. You change in your whole relationship with God when you are born new, born again. When we are born again, we are forgiven of our sins completely. When we are born again, we receive the indwelling spirit of God to guide and comfort and sustain us. When we are born again, we choose Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you in your spiritual journey? Do you need to experience new birth in Jesus? Now we saw that Nicodemus was a religious man. And he was an important man, and yet he needed to experience the new birth. Nicodemus, I think, realized that he was an empty man without Jesus in his life. If you follow him on into the Gospels, you discover that later on when the Pharisees are debating Jesus and how they're to respond to him, Nicodemus tried to stand up for him and say, you know, can we just condemn him? We need to hear him out. And then later on after Jesus was crucified and Joseph of Arimathea went to bury the body of Jesus in the tomb, Nicodemus was along. He, he got spices and they went and they prepared Jesus' body for burial. And tradition says that eventually he became a full-fledged disciple of Jesus Christ. But the Bible doesn't really make that point clearly for us. There was a journey happening in Nicodemus's life. And this was an important step along the way. And Jesus drew a line in the sand and he said, Nicodemus, if you ever want to see God, if you ever want to see heaven, don't depend on being a descendant of Abraham. Don't depend on your religiosity, upon your importance here in this community. Rather, throw yourself upon the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And then you will experience new life, new birth. You will be born again. So what about you this morning? Are you a religious person? Do you think maybe you're better than someone else? Are you, however, spiritually empty like Nicodemus was? If so, let me tell you a very simple way to be born again. First of all, you have to admit some things. You have to admit that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior. Uh, that is a tough pill to swallow for some people. Some people love to look at themselves in comparison to everyone else and say, well, you know, I'm not a murderer. I, I, I have never raped anybody. I've never, you know, stolen millions of money from somebody in some Ponzi scheme. I, I've never done some big thing like that. It's only been the little things. I've gossiped or I maybe told a lie or cheated on my taxes or whatever. And big, by comparison to everyone else, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I don't know why I wouldn't get into heaven. The Bible declares that's not good enough. Romans 3.23 says all of us is, have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says there is no one righteous, not even one. And so all of us fall into this same category of being sinners in need of a Savior. I don't care who you are, how good you may think you are by comparison to everyone else. You are a sinner in need of a Savior this morning. And you need to admit also that you can't save yourself. You must be born again. It must be a spiritual, powerful thing that God does in your life, not something you could do. Our righteousness 
is as filthy rags, the Bible says. God requires absolute perfection. There has never been a man on this earth other than Jesus who has ever lived a sinless, perfect life. And God will never be satisfied with your good works, no matter how good they are. So admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And then remember. Remember that all of us deserve punishment. Here's the bad news before the good news. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him to whom we must give account. There will be a day that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, but if we are in Christ, we don't have to worry about that day. If we are not in Christ, it should haunt us. 1 Peter 4, 5 says, We will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Remember that all of us deserve punishment then. And that on our own, none of us can escape God's punishment. We stand before him and we will hear that sentence, guilty as charged. But remember also this, that God's love found a way to save us. God loves us so much that he found a way to satisfy the penalty of our sins and to still save us. God loves us so much that the highest price that was ever paid for anything was paid for our salvation. That highest price that was paid anywhere, anytime was the death of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. Jesus paid the penalty of our sins so that we could go free. He paid our penalty. So that we could be free. Here is a description of the heart of God. Straight from the mouth of Jesus. God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him. Shall not perish. But have eternal life. That verse is John 3.16. You probably recognized it. Jesus said this the same conversation he had with Nicodemus. That night when Nicodemus was plying him with questions and Jesus was saying, you must be born again. Let's read from John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus told Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave. Friend, you could put your name right in this verse, John 3.16, like this. You could say this, for God so loved John that he gave his one and only son, that if John believes in him, John shall not perish but have eternal life. Put your name in there because it is personal. Don't miss what God's amazing love has already done for you so that you can live with him forever. So admit and remember. Finally, repent and believe what Jesus said. Put your trust in Jesus to save you. Turn from this sinful, empty life that you are now living And put your confidence in Jesus to save you from your sins and to lead you from this day forward. Surrender your life to Jesus. Be baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.
That's Acts 2.38. As you surrender, as you yield, as you believe, as you repent, you will experience the new birth which God wants you to experience so that you can be saved. Now, I put this picture of a man being baptized on the screen this morning because I want it to be kind of seared in your mind because this this picture so eloquently portrays the surrender of a life to Jesus Christ. Now, some people reject baptism as a part of salvation. Because they think it's a work. Is that man working? (laughs) Is that man doing anything? All he's doing is yielding. Someone else is doing the baptizing. And I think that's a a great picture that it is not a work. It is not something you're doing to be saved. It is rather the surrender of a life saying, God, you take me. You hold me. You, You cleanse me. You lead me. You guide me. And when people that I know, balk at the idea of baptism, often it's because they're not yet ready to surrender. They're not yet ready to yield up control of their life. They still want to be in charge. They still want to count on their own righteousness, their own goodness to save them. And they are not ready to admit they need a Savior. And that only Jesus can be that Savior. Baptism is surrender, nothing more, nothing less. And to me, it's the culmination of all of these things that we admit we need a Savior. And we remember that we owe owe an account to God, but God made a way through his love to save us. And it's an act of repentance and of belief and of surrender. You know, I've done this. I've given myself to Jesus Christ. I did it many years ago. I surrendered to him. I have been born again, and I've been living for him all these years of my life since I was nine years old. So have many of the people in this room. They've made that decision to surrender their life to Jesus Christ, to be born again, and to receive the new life that he has promised when we do that. Their life and my life will never be the same because of what Jesus is doing. What about you? What about you this morning? Are you ready to surrender to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the new life that we can have only through him. And I pray that this would be a very serious moment for us today if we have not made that decision to surrender to him. Thank you, Lord, for making it clear to us today. Thank you for... uh, getting your word out because you care so deeply about each of us. If anyone is here today in the the sound of my voice needs to make this decision, Lord, I pray that they will do that before they leave this building and that they will get their heart right with you. Thank you, Lord, uh, for each of us who has made this decision in the past. We pray that we will be strengthened, that we will be uh, encouraged today to realize that this this is where Life has to be lived. This is reality. This is uh, something that we stake our lives on, and it changes everything. Maybe that word of challenge today is what some of us need to hear, to realize that there is a world of people, millions upon millions of people, who are still lost in need of a Savior. 
and millions upon millions of people who could be born again through the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to realize that our mission is to go out into the hurting, hopeless people of our community and of our world who need Jesus and show them your love and give them the opportunity to know him. I pray for each of us who are praying for our our ones, the people you've laid upon our hearts specifically and working to find conversations and times to interact with them that you would not let us uh, go from this, that we would not be uh, maybe distracted or ignore this for a season, but this would be on our hearts every day. As we look at the people around us, maybe even someone we're sitting next to today or someone that we will be with later today, uh, help us realize, Lord, whether or not they are with you forever and they have been born again because this burden is to be put upon our hearts so that we would share your love for them, your compassion for them, and be able to offer your grace to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a decision you need to make for Christ today, hope you'll come forward while we're singing a song. And just come up here and be seated. I can talk with you after the service today, and you can make that decision. Uh, if you are a Christian and you need to be stronger in your faith, uh, use these words today uh, to encourage you the stand that we can make for him. Uh, let's sing together. And let's make whatever decision God has on our heart today.